The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Have your Bibles if you want to take them out with me and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2. That's where we'll focus, verses 1 through 12. You know, in our life, it seems as if we live for experiences. I, I, I talk to parents sometimes, you know, and they want their kids to have experiences, whether that's good or bad, I, I don't know, uh, sometimes. But we live our life looking for experiences, to experience things. There's a lot of, a lot of students in here uh, this morning, as I was sitting up here thinking, who are having experiences with, with sports. You know, we have a lot of kids within our, within our congregation that I know of that play on different sports teams and their parents are involved. And these are, these are fun experiences, right? They're, they're good memories for them. Maybe some of you can remember and hearken back to the day when that was you uh, doing something, whatever it is that you enjoyed. And you, you still remember that uh, to, this, to this very moment, right? It's a, it's a good experience for you to have. Maybe even still, we, we live and get through our weeks for the experiences that we have planned for Friday night or for even, for even Saturday, for Saturday night. These experiences that we want to be a part of, this enjoyment in life. It's, it's what we live for. Or maybe even vacations, right? You could call uh, an experience. I, I understand those things. I, I enjoy those things. I don't think there's anything wrong wrong with enjoying those things. I, I mean, I had, I had a great experience last night. Our staff bought me a gift card to, to Mancy's and that place is awesome. Um, we were with a couple and I said, you know, don't feel bad, but I'm going to close my eyes just for a minute. As I put this in my mouth, don't judge me. Okay. I said, just, I want to experience this. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. As we, as we look in scripture, I would dare say for a lot of us, you know, if we, if we said, man, there, there's all these experiences in scripture and there's so many that I would like to see. I think we all would agree that the miracles that Jesus performed would have been some amazing things to witness. Just to be able to be there for, for any of them. You know, the, the stories that we teach our children so often that are, that are in our literature to go over with the kids. Think, think of the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000. I often wonder, what did that look like? He just has some loaves and some fishes. How does he feed that many people? Does he crack the fish in half and set it aside and now it becomes two whole fish all of a sudden everybody sees and he just keeps doing that? I don't understand how this worked out, but man, I would have loved to have been there to see it. I would have loved to experience that. Or somebody who was blind, can't see, comes up to Christ and he touches them and all of a sudden they see. What is going on, you know, in this moment? And, and to be able to, to witness these things, or maybe even a guy with, with leprosy, just covered in leprosy, and Christ puts his hands on him, prays to the Father, and all of a sudden his skin is, is perfect. It, it's gone. Now you tell me you would have peaked during that prayer. I would have peaked during that prayer to see what is happening at this moment. They fall off of him to the ground. They just vanish and disappear. Really some amazing experiences. And as we talk about the life of Christ, that's where we come to today. Jesus' miracles. And when we talk about Jesus' miracles, I want us to go to the hearing of the paralytic that we see in Mark chapter 2, 
verse 1 through 12, I think it's a, a good place for us to go to look at the reason behind why Jesus did miracles. The reason behind them. And that's what I, I want to look at this morning. Uh, many people abuse this. And I hope that we can kind of be set straight to see the reason why Jesus did these things. So follow along with me, if you would, in Mark chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 12. It says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. As I said, the miracles of Jesus are very interesting. They're very compelling. But what is the purpose of them? Why are they in scripture? Why did Jesus come in this way, healing people, uh, doing different miracles? So I hope for us to see that well this morning. And first, I want us to address the purpose of the healings. I think there's a a few reasons behind this. The first one is it points to Jesus's authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Pastor Jason Aaron of Outpost Church actually Uh, focused on this a few weeks ago, the very, very first sermon of this year. It says this, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. One of the things that we see when we see Christ healing people is this fact that he has all authority over creation. In fact, when you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, you don't have to go there, but it it says all creation was actually created through Christ. It was created through him. And so he's been given absolute authority over his creation. And so in these miracles, that is something that we are seeing. We are seeing his authority to do these things. This is actually really difficult for a lot of believers. There's actually a lot of controversy if you start to study miracles because there's a, there's a lot of uh, Christians who would say, well, even God himself is bound by science. He's bound by the natural order that he has established. And so all these miracles need to be, be able to be explained somehow rationally 
uh, through the things of this world. And now to give those people credit of whom I I do not uh, agree with, I think that you could go to some miracles uh, that we see in scripture and maybe we could talk through them in a natural sense of how maybe that happened. I've seen this even uh, used with the plagues. Maybe you have seen this before of, of the frogs and how that would happen and the, and the flies and the gnats and all these things. And there's, there's maybe some reasons of how this could come about that we could talk about in a natural sense. But the, the problem lies in some of the miracles of Christ that simply you just cannot explain naturally. Walking on water does not happen naturally. There's no way to talk about it unless you're going to say maybe it was frozen. Maybe, maybe the lake was frozen at that time, which we know is not the case, right? There, there's other ones that you could go to. Uh, I think we could go to many of them, but one that we'll be looking at next week that I'm really excited to preach on. I mean, we see Jesus raise people from the dead. Lazarus himself already stunk, and Christ would call him out, and he would walk out of that tomb alive, That cannot be explained naturally. So when we look at the miracles that Christ would perform, we have to understand that he has authority over creation and the order of it. He's not bound by it. And so if Christ says be healed and there's no natural way for that to happen, guess what? Healing happens. Healing occurs because he is the creator. He is the one with the authority. We see this in Matthew chapter 8 through 9. If you wanted to uh, read the story of the paralytic in another gospel, it is in Matthew and it is in Luke as well, but it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. But when you study this, Matthew chapter 8 and 9, the focus of it really is the fact that Jesus has ultimate authority over creation. The way that Matthew uh, worked it all out, because in Matthew chapter 8 and in Matthew chapter 9, these are some of the things you see. You see Jesus rules over disease. He heals a man, he heals people with leprosy. He heals a person with paralysis. He heals somebody with fever, right? And we also see Jesus rules over his disciples, We see his rule over disasters. We see his rules even over demons, where he can speak to demons and have them come out. They obey his command. He even rules over our bodies. He even rules over death. We see that in Matthew chapter 8 through 9. And and Matthew set that up that way on purpose so that we could see Christ's ultimate authority over all of these things. The second purpose of the healing not only points to his authority, but points to the coming kingdom. We see this talked about a lot in scripture. The kingdom is at hand. And one of the promises that we see coming out of these healing is that one day, one day all things will be restored. Not just the man's withered hand, not just somebody with leprosy, but the promise that one day absolutely everything will be restored. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, It says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, and notice this, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The promise of a a restoration that will be complete 
that can be known. When you look back in scripture and you look in the Garden of Eden and you see that God creates Adam and he, he creates Eve, what we see in the garden is everything is perfect. There is no restoration that needs to happen because everything is right where it needs to be. But then sadly, we get to Genesis chapter three. We don't have to wait too long. Sin enters the world and sin destroys that perfection. And so we can look on that in Genesis chapter three and we can be frustrated by that and we can see what that has led to throughout throughout history, even to the point of today. But the promise that we have looking forward is that one day everything will be restored like that again. Perfect peace with creation, perfect peace with God, having Jesus as King, Lord of Lords over everything. That's a day that we as Christians, we as believers, those of us who've been saved by the grace of God, this is the day that we look forward to. It's a day that we long for. It's a day that we hope for. Understanding that we, might, we won't experience that here, but we will experience there with him one day. And we look forward to that day. One of the things I want to point out is something Pastor Spencer pointed out to me. We were going to make a visit and we were talking about this passage. And I, I was thankful that he said this, talking about Jesus's miracles. I want you to notice how full of grace all of Jesus's miracles are. They're all full of grace. When you go to the Old Testament and you see the miracles that take place, you see plagues. You see these things of judgment, right, that are being cast out on people. Even the story of Jericho from our side is victory, right? Going around the walls and the walls come down, but then there was a command after that great victory to go in and now destroy everything because judgment was taking place for these people. Right, and we see this with the law. We, we, we see judgment all over the place. And then when, when Christ enters the scene and all these miracles begin to take place, he was not casting judgment. He wasn't going up to the Pharisees who were, who were lying about him or spreading false things about him and saying, you now have leprosy. Bam, be quiet. You stop talking to me, boom, you're dead. He had power to do that, but we don't see that. In all of his miracles, what we see is we see we see grace. We see, we see love. We see restoration like was talked about. We see healing taking place as Christ would heal. That brings me to the next thing I think the purpose of the healings do. It, it really points us to Christ's love for the hurting. We see the compassion that he would have. Now, I want us to take a moment to try to put ourselves in the situation of some of these people in this story. And the first one being the paralytic. I really want you to think how you would feel being this man. Been a paralytic for a while. Maybe he heard that Jesus came back into town, but he has no ability whatsoever to get to Christ. He can't move. And so going through that process in his mind, hearing the things that Christ has already been able to do, hearing that maybe this is my opportunity to be able to walk again, but starting to think through, how can I get there? What are the steps that I must take to get there? Is there anybody around if I yell to take me over there? Will they be willing to take me over there? Will they take the time? Maybe they have something wrong with them and they want to get healed. And so they said, no, we'll get you later. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that you could think through of being this man, but it had to be a difficult place to be. How do I get there? Now, he gets there. 
I don't know if he bribed these men. I don't know if these men were friends with him, if they were relatives of him. I, I don't know. We don't see that anywhere. But somehow, it says four men take him to Jesus. And they work very hard to get him to Jesus. And so now put yourself as a friend. I want you to think about that for a moment. Put yourself as a friend. You walk up. It's heavy carrying somebody on a pallet. I do that in a program. It's heavy. It's not fun. It's not a joyful thing. And I only walk from there to here. I don't know how far they had to walk. But when they get to the house and they see that the house is absolutely crowded, so much so that the door has people in it and people looking into the windows. Maybe at that time you think as a friend, you know, today's just not the day. Maybe tomorrow. It's just too busy. It's just too busy in here. But these friends didn't think that way, did they? No, they thought, we'll figure out a way to get him in. And so then we see the rest of the story of them going up on the roof and breaking through the roof, which we could talk about how they did that, but I don't think it's important. They get him, right? They get him in there. They lower him down into this home where everybody is at and just totally interrupt Jesus' teaching. He's teaching, trying to do what he's come to do, and it's absolutely interrupt him, but they didn't care because they wanted their friend to be healed and they felt nobody else could do that but Christ. And so they were going to do whatever it took to get them, get his, their friend to Jesus. And so again, I want you to keep yourself in the mindset of the paralytic and try to keep yourself in the mindset of the friends for a moment here. Because when Jesus recognizes what is happening and the man gets laid down in front of him, Jesus says some pretty interesting things that I I don't think we would expect to hear Jesus say in this moment if he cared for people who were hurting. Because what does he say? Look in verse five. Look at verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now let me stop for a moment because if you're the paralytic, you're really excited at this moment. They got me to him. He notices me. He notices our faith. Okay, this is all going in the correct direction. I'm going to be walking in any minute. I can't wait for this moment. And Jesus starts to speak. And he says, son, and the paralytic's like, here it comes. Your sins are forgiven. Wait a second, what? It's not what I'm asking for. I want to walk. You forgiving me of my sins, do nothing for me. Nothing for me. That really had to be a letdown for him. Really had to be a letdown for him. Now we could get into the talk of, well, back then people thought their sins were connected with their sickness. And so that's why this had to happen. I, I don't think that's important either. I have to think, no doubt, that guy thought, that's not what I'm here for. I want to walk again. Or the men up on the roof whose fingers are probably bleeding as they've ripped through the ceiling to get this guy healed. And they're like, Wait, did he, what did he say? Did I? He said his sins are forgiven. That's not why we brought him in here. We want him to walk out of here. We want him to be healed. We want him to be restored, Jesus. You've done this many times in other places. We, we know about you. So heal this person. Man, that had to be a long wait for that moment. Now, we know that in a few short moments, what happens? But that span of time from Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven to arise, take up your bed, get out of here, had to feel like a really long time for that guy sitting on that mat. But I do think there are some lessons 
from this that we can take out. I don't think it's the purpose of this passage, and we'll get to the purpose of this passage in a moment. But there are some lessons within this story that I think we can learn from these men. The first one being our need for spiritual healing more so than our physical healing, which we'll talk, we'll talk about later. But I also want us to notice this, that God does care about our current state. God did not leave him unhealed physically. I do want to point that out. He said, your sins are forgiven. Then he interprets what the scribes are saying in their head, not out loud, another miracle, by the way. And then he addresses them and says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And he heals the man. He does care about the physical state that the man is in. And this is something that I think we forget too often. God cares about you in the here and now, not just the future, not just glory. He cares about us today. A lot of times what I hear from people who do not believe in God is this point. If there is some God, he don't care about you. He's got other bigger things to worry about, like stars and planets working and all that stuff. Why would he care about your day today? Well, the Bible speaks greatly to that, that God absolutely cares about my day. In Matthew chapter six, verse 25 to 33, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That passage speaks greatly to the fact that God cares about you in this moment. If he cares about the grass that you're gonna go cut anyways, how much more does he care about you? He does care about us at this moment. We might not experience some great healing in our life physically that we so desperately desire, but that does not mean that Jesus doesn't love us. One of the things that is, is just comes out at me as I, as I looked at all the miracles that Jesus would do is how personal they were. It wasn't like a mass healing. You know, it wasn't like, hey, if you want to be healed today, just I don't have time to talk to all of you. So just just come up here and I'll just, you're healed. Go. We, we don't see Jesus do that. We see him grabbing people by the hands and looking them in the eyes, talking to them, even, even calling them out by name, saying, you, you are healed. We see this personal level of healing taking place and the miracles that Christ would perform. And I think the reason for that is because he cares for us personally on a very intimate level. Another little truth I think that we can see in this passage that sadly I've heard this as the thrust of this message and I just don't think it is, but we see the love of true friendship in this passage with these four men and their desire to get them, him to Jesus. 
And I really do think it should put some sort of a burden on us to ask us if we have such compassion for the people we call friends when it comes to leading them to Christ, that we'd be willing to do whatever it takes to move heaven and earth if necessary, to get them to hear about Christ, to get them to know Christ. But yet, sadly, too often, we don't even invite people to church because they might think weird of us. Again, I think that's a side truth in this passage, so I don't want to stay on it too long, but I still think it's a truth. The fourth, the fourth reason, I think, the purpose of these healings is it points to the truth of Christ's message. You know, it's interesting when he listens to the scribe's thoughts, and he says, I know what you're reasoning in your mind. He says, so that you may know, doesn't he? So that you may know that I can forgive sins. Watch this. Rise, take up your bed, go. There was a reason to the guy's healing, and it was to point to the truth of the message. Actually, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, as John is wrapping up everything, look what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, of which we would say, man, John, you're missing a big thing there. Write them all down. We want to know them. But the point of it wasn't the healings, was it? Verse 31. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's not, we wrote all these healings so that you too can be healed. If you can just find the right source of the Holy Spirit, you will be healed too. No. It's all these things are written down for you so that you can know that he is the Christ, that his message is true, that he is the Lord and Savior of all the world. It says this in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He didn't do these miracles for show. Catch this. He didn't even do these miracles just because he cared about the individual, even though I think that's important. He did this to point to truth. Mark 1, 38. And he said to them, look what he says, let us go on to the next towns. Why? So that I can heal all kinds of people. No, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also because that is why I have come. That is why I'm here to preach the truth to people, not to heal everybody, but to point to the truth of the message that he is savior. That's what gets us to our very last point. We've been looking at the purpose of the healings, but I think what's even more important is to look at the purpose of the forgiveness that took place before the healing. That's really what this passage is about, and I really believe that is what the miracles of Christ are all about. Because the purpose of the forgiveness is this. It doesn't point to anything. It actually proves everything. It proves his deity, the fact that he can forgive sins. Because the Bible is very clear only God can forgive sins. The scribes were exactly right in what they were thinking. 100% right in what they were thinking. Who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. That's right. That's right. That's what Jesus is pointing to. You're right in what you're saying. I am God. I am he. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I mean, we see this. We we must seek forgiveness from God and God alone. That's why only God can forgive sins. You might say, well, I can forgive somebody's sins. No, you can't. 
Only God can forgive sins. Did you know scripture goes so far to say that when you sin, you're not actually sinning against man. You're, you're sinning against God Almighty. It's a bigger deal than just lying to your spouse. It's a bigger deal, student, than just cheating on your test and getting away with something from your teacher. When you sin, you sin against God. David would say in Psalm 51, one of the more famous Psalms, after his whole deal with Bathsheba and murder and all that stuff, you know that David did? Big deal. This is what he says. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. We would stand back and say, well, no, David, you're, you're wrong. You, sin, you killed the guy. You sinned greatly against him and his family. You affected all kinds of people. Your sin has had an impact on everybody, but David understood the truth. No, no, my greatest crime is I have sinned against God. And all these people could forgive me of my sins. And you know what? It doesn't mean a thing unless God will forgive me. It doesn't mean anything. And so this is why God alone can forgive sins. But the good news is that Christ would look at that paralytic man and say, your sins are forgiven. And the reason he could do that is because God has made a way for him to forgive our sins. Isn't that an amazing thought? You haven't made a way for him to forgive you of your sins. You haven't come up with some situation that you say, you know, if I do this, I'll be in God's good graces and maybe he'll forgive me. That's not how this works. God has made a way for you to receive forgiveness from God himself. It's only through Jesus Christ, his son. That's why in John 14, six, this is a verse we all know. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the father except through me. It's the only way. He is our hope. And in seeing him forgive sins proves his deity because only God can do that. This is just what brings up that great point. If you're here this morning and you're, you're one of these people, you think, you know, I like this Jesus fellow. I think he's a good teacher, but I just can't believe everything that he says. Please take this the best you possibly can. I cannot think of a more foolish statement somebody can say. You either have to fully believe in Christ that he is God and savior of the world, or you have to think that he was a complete idiot. You have no in-between. There is absolutely no other option. And so if that's you, you're, you're wavering on the fence. Listen, there is no fence. You can't do that because he claims to be God. He claims to be the Christ. He claims that everything he says is truth. And so it's either all in or it's absolutely all out. There's no other way to see it. I would urge of you to believe. I would beg of you to believe. I pray actually all throughout the week, the Holy Spirit would open your eyes so that you can believe, so that you would see the truth that he is God. As we see him forgive the paralytic, it also proves not only his deity, but it proves his love for the hurting. Our real need in this life is redemption with God. We need restoration of our relationship with God. And that is what God makes available to all mankind is a restoration when it comes to our relationship with him. Again, not of our own doing, but of his. 
That paralytic sitting on that mat, as we talked about, wanted physical healing. But instead, what he got was true healing, was absolute healing. Even if he had to be carried out on that mat that day, it was still worth going to Christ because he'd been restored. He'd been restored completely in his salvation because Christ forgave him of his sins. Listen, we, we have no hope in our sins. On our own, we have nothing. But because of his love for the hurting, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. Christ hasn't come for the, just the wealthy. He hasn't come just for those who are highly educated. He hasn't just come for the beautiful. He's come for everybody. All those who will trust in him will be saved. The last thing and the purpose of his forgiveness, it proves his message. As I said, what we need is not healing on this earth. And I don't want to minimize this at all. I really, I really don't want to minimize this at all because some of us desire great healing in our body because we hurt. You hurt. You have physical ailment or you have emotional things that are just so much for you to bear in your life. And I do not think it is wrong for a second to fall before your face before God and say, God, take this away from me. God, heal me of this. There, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think God cares about you greatly. I think God loves you with a love that nobody else could ever bestow upon you. But the, but the good news really is this. You don't need healing physically. You don't need emotional healing to be accepted by God. You need spiritual healing. And Christ has provided that way for us. God being rich in mercy, being great in love, has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins so that while this pain on earth might remain, might last through the night, and when you wake up, it's not, oh, joy came in the morning, my pain is gone. No, the pain's still there. The pain's still real. The pain still hurts. And we say, God, I don't understand why you don't take this from me. I don't understand why this doesn't go away. And you seek advice from all sorts of people. And if they give you answers, they're liars because there is no answer to that. I don't know. We don't know why. I can give the big answer. It's because of sin in this world. Sin has corrupted. Sin has destroyed. Sin has made things out of balance. And so it's because of sin. But Christ has come for you to conquer sin. He's conquered it for you. And I have to ask, what could be better than this? What can be better than Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you? Nothing. Nothing. I want to close with a quote. I read this on Wednesday night to our prayer meeting. I usually give them a little heads up about the sermon that's coming up to be praying for it. This comes from a writer. His name's Greg Morse. He writes for Desiring God. But listen to this, if you would. This, when I was studying and I came across this, I remember just sitting in my chair in my office thinking, wow. He wrote something that I wish I could write. And he, he says this well. And so I really, I really hope God will use this this morning. It's not very long. It says, Jesus did go on to heal his legs. 
In so doing, he proved himself to be God and showed that healing in this life is not insignificant, nor are decades of pain and disability. But healing in this life is not ultimate. Our Messiah does not mend the bodies of all his children in this age, though he certainly will in the next. What he does do, however, is speak to each of his sheep. Take heart, my beloved. Because of my work on the cross for you, your sins are forgiven, your crimes are forgotten, and your future glory will one day make all this suffering like a distant dream. Let God's forgiveness, that which no money can buy, no good deeds can earn, and no suffering can steal, breathe heaven's air into your lungs. Satan is robbed of his accusation against you. You have been adopted into Christ's family. You are perfect in God's eyes in union with his son. Let this news bear you up on on wings like eagles. Though your health, happiness, and legs may be anchored to the floor, Christ has given us more than new legs. He's given us a new heart, a new hope, and a new future. How? By giving himself, bloodied on a cross for us. He shall not spare us anything for our ultimate good. I want you to bow with me this morning. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to respond to God's word. I think something that some of us as Christians need to maybe seek forgiveness for is our attitude towards God and healing. There is nothing greater that God can do for us than to forgive us of our sins. He went on in that article, and I want you to hear this while you're you're praying with your head bowed. He said, as we're on this earth and we're hurting, but when God forgives us of our sins, we are like the caged bird that continues to sing praise to him because we know that we are his. Oh, we're caged on this earth. We're hurt. We're bound. God has freed us from our sin. And we know that glory awaits us because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Wow, that's good news. God, I'm thankful for the good news of Jesus. God, I don't in any way want to minimize the pain that people are going through physically and emotionally. I know that that's real and I really don't want it to seem like I'm trying to make small of it. I'm not at all. But God, I do know that you care about us even in those difficulties. And God, I do pray for those who are experiencing hurt physically, emotionally, or whatever it may be. I do pray that you would touch them, that you would restore that in their life. But God, I also know that that's not our greatest need. And so God, I pray you would heal us spiritually in our hearts. That we would look to Christ on the cross, bloodied for our sins, taking your wrath for our transgressions. And God, that that would cause us to praise you. That that would cause us to honor you. That that would cause us to continue fighting in this world, even though we hurt. But God, sadly, too many of us are trying to get to the point to when we die, we look as if, We've never had an infirmity. We look as if 
even as we're dead, that our life was perfect, where we can still look young even though we're old? God, that shouldn't be our goal in this life. God, I I know I want to enter my casket knowing I've given my body for you and everything, even if it's broken, even if it's unrecognizable. God, give me that boldness. Give me that courage to honor you because you have healed me of my sins. And so the world can destroy this body Because of what sin has done in this world, who knows what could happen to me physically here, emotionally. But God, I do know this. Satan cannot touch my soul because you have conquered him for me. God, I pray that that would cause me to praise you. God, I pray for the other Christians in this room that they would praise you because of that. That they would not be weighed down by the circumstances of this world, but that they would be lifted up because of what you have done for us. And so God, give us praise. Give us worship that goes to you and you alone. Give us encouragement. Give us joy. Give us a a hope that maybe we haven't felt in a very long time. God, I, I pray that we would feel it because we understand the truth of what you have done. God, as we close in singing this song, I pray that people would respond to your word. Maybe they need to come forward and pray. That's perfectly fine. Maybe they need to pray right where they are. But God, I have no doubt there are people in this room this morning who need healing spiritually. God, help them to see that desperate need and help them to call out to you for forgiveness of their sins. Help them to trust in you fully. God, so that we can praise your name together. God, work during this time. We thank you for the truth of your word and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.